So good to be with you this morning. Apologies for my lateness. If there was ever any uh, evidence that I clearly talked too long, then, then that was probably it. So <laughs> but it's so good to be with you. Um, if I've not met you before, my name's Jamie. Um, I'm one of the elders here, and I lead the Bradley Stokes site. Um, so it's a real treat uh, to be able to come and join with you. It's not something I get to do very often. So um, yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Hopefully, you've gleaned by now, this is our Church Planting Sunday. I've got the joy and the pleasure of talking about church planting. I actually came to this church many, many years ago um, when it was really a church plant. It was City Church North Bristol, as it was called back in those days, that was a, an independent church planted out of what we now call the Cotton Site. And um, I was someone who... I became a believer at school uh, and an amazing move of revival, really, that swept through. This was my first experience of the kingdom of God. I was very happy being an agnostic, very happy being an atheist. Uh, God got hold of me, and um, I saw some remarkable things during my time at school, amazing miracles, healings, prophecy, real people being delivered, lives being transformed. The strange thing about it, though, is it never occurred to me to go to church. Um, I'd, I'd only ever been to church once before. That was on a school trip when I was eight. Uh, it wasn't good. I'm not going not to lie. Um, and so I, I didn't associate church with these amazing things that I'd encountered in God and seen God do. And it was some friends who dragged me along to this, this new church plant called City Church North. Uh, I didn't really know what was going on there. But it was, it was just a handful of people in a room at that time. But what I encountered there absolutely blew me away. Just, you know, as, as amazing as my experience at school had been, actually it was here that I really got discipled. It was here that I really learned what it was to grow in my faith. It was here that I learned what it was to, to, to read and study the scriptures with others and to, to go out and take risks and, and, and make disciples myself. And I'm incredibly grateful. And I, I, I think at that moment, God planted something of a seed in my life of what is possible when God's people give themselves to church planting. I think that's been a bit of something that's been working in, in my heart over many, many years. It's never quite gone away. Many of you will know that uh, with my wife, Debbie, and our two children, we're going to be uh, relocating really soon to Leicester in the Midlands, where we're going to be planting a new church called Anthem Church. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit more later on about how you can find out about that. But in the meantime, let's get our Bibles open. If you want to come with me to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 28. It's going to be right at the end of chapter 28, actually. This is kind of, um, if you like, Jesus' parting shot, his passing words. He's gathered his closest core of disciples together at that moment when he's risen from the dead. He's about to rise back to the Father in heaven. And these are his final words, his kind of final commission to us, his people. So I'm reading from verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a very wise man called um, Andy Cottingham who once said, the standing orders of Jesus are to go. And we see this here, the, the very first part of Jesus' instruction is to go. 
Now, if you're, uh, if you're in the military, if you're on a kind of like a naval ship or a naval submarine or something like that, you will have a set of standing orders. Uh, the, the captain will have these, and actually this is really useful, not just because it clarifies your mission, which it does, but it means that if you lose kind of radio contact back with HQ, or that's probably not the right word for it, is it? But if you lose radio contact and you don't have up-to-the-minute orders, actually you fully understand your standing orders. This is the mission that you're giving yourself to. And that is the mission that you'll be fulfilling until such time as something else comes in and rescinds it. And the standing orders of Jesus for us as disciples are to go and to make disciples. Now, I think my observation of of, of many Christians, and this has been true of myself over the years as well, is that often we're waiting for that moment. We're waiting for that sort of video screen from heaven to come down and say, thus saith the Lord, this is what you are called to. And actually, all along, God's call on our lives is here in black and white, or red if you've got a Bible like mine. And his standing orders are to go. Now, our culture, and our Christian culture to an extent, makes a lot of telling us to dream big. Makes a lot of telling us that we are here to change the world, that here we are here to influence. Now, to be honest, I like that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But, but how about, what if, what if you weren't called to change the world? What if you weren't called to forever transform the face of whatever it is that's your niche? What if God is calling you over the course of the decades of your life to win, I don't know, half a dozen of your friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, share the gospel with them, bring them into a living relationship with Jesus and go on discipling them? Wouldn't that be a thing? What if the 90-year-old version of yourself could look back on your life and say, here's a few people. Out of all the people that I've shared the love of Jesus with, they got it, they caught it, they came through, they got baptized, I've been investing into their life. Wouldn't that be a remarkable testimony? Jesus' standing orders are to go, to take action. But the word go isn't just a call to take action, it's also a call to relocation. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination. I haven't been studying theology like seemingly everybody else in City Church. But I can look up in the dictionary with the best of them. And I'm pretty sure that the word go in Greek means, drum roll please, to go. It's a geographical, physical location. If you literally followed Jesus' instruction to go, you would end up in a different physical space to where you were when you started. Now, actually, of course, not all of us are called to be, plant of a team that, to be part of a team that plants churches. Not all of us are called to go somewhere else. Otherwise, there'd be nobody to stay and reach people here in Bristol. But as you read through the New Testament, as you read through the Gospels and the book of Acts and on and on, you can't escape that reality that the normal Christian life is, by definition, a very transient kind of lifestyle. That it is absolutely normal for disciples of Jesus throughout the New Testament to move and to go for the sake of the kingdom. Whether that's through intentional outreach, intentional advancement, or even just through the circumstances of life. Even through things like persecution. Where God can take the worst of things and use them for the best of things. Terry Virgo, who... um, is the kind of the founder of our New Frontiers family of churches, once said that 
When Jesus called his disciples to the ministry of disciple-making, they instinctively went and planted churches. They instinctively went going, making disciples, and then fashioning them into local expressions of church life. And this is something, as a family, to be honest, we've lived with for a long time. Even, even before Debbie and I got married, we, we kind of resolved between ourselves that we wanted to organize our life in such a way and organize our home and organize the way we raised our kids and the way we did our finances and everything else such that we would never be so rooted, so wedded to one place that we couldn't move if the Spirit led. And, um, and actually, that's been difficult. That's been challenging. The, by far and away, the hardest thing about relocating and planting a church in a city two hours up the road He's going to be leaving here. It's going to be leaving Bristol, this church, our friends, people who are here because we're rooted. But it's possible because over the years, just in, in the way we've built, in the way we've structured our finances, in the way we've talked with our children and all of these things, we've wanted to make it possible that we could go long before we ever decided that we were going to plant a church. Debbie was, was sharing with me recently that the very first sermon she ever heard at, at City Church when she came on her first day quite a few years ago was um, a person called Livy Gibbs was speaking. She was with her husband. Her husband was one of the elders here at the time, and they were just about to leave and, and plant a, a church in London, what's now Emmanuel Church. And, um, and she was sharing a little bit of their story and their background and how God has led them. And she used this, this illustration she described as tent-like living. She talked about how the, the Old Testament um, Israelites were, were moving through the desert from place to place, literally following the, the tangible, manifest presence of God. And how actually they, they did that in tents. They, they didn't have so much bricks and mortar in their life, so to speak, that actually when God's presence led them on, they weren't ready to go. And there was something about that that really lodged in, in Debbie's heart and lodged in my heart, really. And it, it just meant that even when we didn't have any plans, even when we didn't have any concrete expectation that we're going to go to a particular place or we're going to reach a particular group of people, we never wanted to get so rooted in one place that that would be too difficult. So Jesus says, go. It's go. It's a call to action. It's a call to relocation. He says, go and we'll, we'll do what then? He says, go and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. A disciple is, is an apprentice. Now, if you were to apprentice yourself to someone as a, you know, as a tradesman or as, uh, or as an artist or a craftsperson or, or sportsman or wh whatever it is, you're going to want to make sure, aren't you, that the person that you're apprenticing yourself to is a true master of their craft, this is the person that you are going to spend you know, probably more hours a week with than anybody else. This is the person you're going to be laboring alongside. It's the person in whose hands is your, your career and your future and your livelihood. And it, this is the person who's not just downloading lectures of information to you, but they're, but they're there alongside you. They're tutoring you. They're, they're, they're showing you their skills and their lifestyle and how they do their work. They're going to eat their lunch with you and, and your entire reputation as, a, as an athlete or as a carpenter or whatever it is is staked on the quality of this person's mentoring of you. You want to make sure that you're apprenticing yourself to someone who is a master in their trade. 
Now, as disciples, we are apprenticing ourselves to the one who is the master of this thing we call doing life, right? He's the master. He, if you notice, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus speaks very, very rarely about church. Speaks only very occasionally about church. What does he teach on? He teaches on how we walk with God, how we live a life filled with the Holy Spirit, how we treat each other with grace. He, taught, he teaches on how we have strong relationships with one another. He teaches on things like money, all this down-to-earth, everyday stuff, these big things of life that have the power to bring us incredible fulfillment, incredible satisfaction and joy, and equally have the power to utterly ruin us if we get it wrong. Jesus is the master of living life with God. We want to apprentice ourselves to him. I was reading through, um, Anne Spangler wrote a fantastic book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. I just started looking through the first few chapters again recently. I want to share with you, if I can find my phone, here it is. I want to share with you just a couple of paragraphs where she began to describe what it meant for those first disciples, not just the 12, but for their first disciples, what it meant to be a disciple. This wasn't something that Jesus invented. It was a very common cultural thing of the day. She says, in the centuries prior to Jesus' time, certain men distinguished themselves in their earnest desire to study and teach the Torah. In Jesus' day, a person would honor one of these learned men by addressing him as my master, which in Hebrew is rabbi. For the most part, these teachers didn't hail from the wealthy or the priestly classes, but came from the ranks of ordinary folk. Rabbis interpreted the Torah, explained the scriptures, and told parables. Some traveled from village to village, teaching in the synagogues. They often took disciples who would study under their direction for years, traveling with them everywhere they went. Study sessions were often conducted outdoors in vineyards and marketplaces and by the side of the road. And then, crucially, she explains how disciples would then be sent out on their own, holding their own classes and continuing the rabbi's teaching. She said the mission of a rabbi was to become a living example of what it means to apply God's word to one's life. A disciple apprenticed themselves to a rabbi because the rabbi had saturated his life with scripture and had become a true follower of God. His goal was to raise up disciples who would become like him. And as followers of Jesus, she concludes, we are still called to live out the adventure of discipleship, becoming like Jesus through the power of his spirit at work within us. I had a wonderful moment with my daughter. She's seven. Uh, we were sat, it was about six months ago, I think. It was bedtime. We were reading through this, uh, this particular kid's Bible. It's got a great chapter about, about Jesus and his relationship with the disciples. It explains all of these things, how Jesus just lived life in such close proximity with his followers that they caught from him his relationship with God and how he interacted with the world and taught them this new kingdom lifestyle. And at the end of it, it kind of says, well, they, or they say to Jesus, well, what should we do now? And he says, right, now you go out and make disciples and teach it to the world. And, and we, we got into a bit of a conversation about this and we explained how those disciples made other disciples and made other disciples. And, and actually that ricocheted across the world down through the centuries and how a few years ago someone had come into my life when I didn't believe and share the good news of Jesus with me. And even now to this day is still investing in my life. And I said, well, this is what I'm doing with you. 
like making disciples, even at bedtime. You could see her little mind was kind of whirring and processing for a moment. And then she goes, oh, I could do that. And in that moment, the penny dropped. She saw Jesus' vision of disciple-making. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah, that's not arrogance. That's not Paul elevating himself to some super status. That is what Jesus intended for every one of us, his disciples, to be able to say. That any one of us could come alongside someone who's not following Jesus yet, or someone who's maybe just started following Jesus, and say, hey, I've apprenticed myself to this one. I'm, I'm learning to follow him through his word, through his spirit within me. Let's, let's jump in. Let's do this together. It's his intention for all of us. Statistically, church planting is one of the best ways of making new disciples. I don't know why that is, but I can hazard a guess. But it probably forces us into a mold of intentionality about reaching out to people around us. Making new disciples in any culture is difficult. I think making disciples in our culture is especially difficult. And I think there are two things in particular, two kind of ingredients that it requires. The first one is a healthy dose of intentionality. Now, you can read through the book of Acts. You'll see how people like Paul, as they traveled around making disciples and fashioning them into church, local church congregations, they would have a great degree of intentionality whenever they went into a place. And often they would think, well, okay, what is it that I have that I can leverage to build bridges and to use as opportunities to share the love of Jesus with people in this community? So Paul, we'll use him as an example. For the years before he became a follower of Jesus, he was a very well-known, very high-ranking, distinguished member of the sect of the Pharisees in Judaism. And actually, this gave him, this afforded him certain opportunities. So whenever he would go into a city or into a town that had a reasonable Jewish population and had a synagogue there, he would go along to that synagogue as a, as a top priority. And on any given Sabbath, when somebody like Paul walked through the door, they would be falling over themselves to hand him the pulpit and say, please come and preach the scriptures to us, which gave him a natural opportunity to begin to share the love of Jesus. And actually, this translates into our modern world as well. So as Debbie and I move to a place like Leicester, we're having these strategic conversations ourselves and with others with us. Okay, well, how can we begin to build bridges? How can we intentionally reach people in this city? Now, Debbie and I, for example, both have a background in teaching. We've got qualifications in teaching. We both taught for many years. Debbie taught language, the English language whilst living abroad for several years. So actually, we have some skills and some qualifications that particularly in a city like Leicester, which was the first white minority city in the UK, and there's a huge demand for English language teaching, that could afford us opportunities actually to build bridges with people who otherwise might not be open to the gospel. Now, we might not do that. We might do something else. But you can see the kind of conversations that we're beginning to have as we build intentionally. Often, even for those of us who are not called to go somewhere else, who are just called to be here, Often it still takes maybe even more intentionality to reach the people around us with the gospel. Who's, who's ever said something like this? Who's ever said something like, wow, I find sharing my faith with people really hard? Anyone ever said that? Anyone ever thought that? 
Well, you're a much holier lot than Bradley Stoke. <laughs> I have said that many, many times, but I've been reflecting on it recently, that actually I think that I, and I'm willing to bet you, find sharing your faith with people a lot easier than you think it is. If you'll permit me to be pedantic for a moment, let's imagine, let's imagine that one of your friends, or three of your friends, came up and said, hey, please can you explain what I need to do to be saved? Please could you... Uh, uh, this relationship with God that, you, that you've got, I want to have that. Could you explain to me what I need to do? Do you know what? I think you would be absolutely fine in that conversation. You might not be Billy Graham. It might not be the slickest presentation of the gospel that you've ever given. But do you know what? I think you could communicate a wonderful understanding of God's love, how he gave his life on the cross for our sins, how he rose again, and through putting our faith in him, we can be saved. I think you would be just fine. So what's the difficult bit then? What is it that we find so difficult? I think it's everything that comes beforehand. I think it's anything that it takes to bring somebody in a position where they're actually listening in the first place. In fact, I go as far as to say probably the biggest barrier to Christians in the 21st century where sharing our faith isn't our fear or shame, isn't some cultural indifference, isn't political correctness or anything else. It's just the difficulty of bringing anyone to a place where they want to hear. And that's why intentionality is so important. I remember a few years ago, I was still working uh, in teaching. I was a school teacher, and, and God really challenged me on how I was using my time. Teaching, for those of you who've taught, it, it, it's, a, it's a demanding job. It's a busy job. And I wanted to spend as much time as I could with my family. I wanted to spend as much time as I could with God. I was busy serving in church. And so really my mission in teaching, I did, I did my job well, but my mission became get in very early in the morning, get my head down, do as much work as I possibly could, be as prepared as I possibly could. And when the kids were gone, I went into hyper-efficiency mode, got everything done, everything squared off, and I was out the door. Because I thought I was doing it right. I thought I had my priority list right, God's and family. You know, that's the right priority list, isn't it? And then God began to challenge me. You're not making time for the people around you. You're not living transparently with the people around you. You're not building friendships. And I'm like, yeah, but God, I don't want to be here. I want to be there. But actually, he challenged me that I was spending all this time praying for people, praying for my non-Christian friends to come into a relationship with Jesus, praying for opportunities to share the gospel with them. I wasn't making any time for them. And for me, intentionality in that season of life just meant hanging around for an extra hour after work, going and dropping into someone's classroom, grabbing a cup of coffee, going for a drink with someone, just sharing life with them. And actually, as time went on, I became less and less frustrated with it, and I began to be a lot healthier and a lot happier. And, and I, people began to really open up. I remember there was a, a new member of staff. We got talking. We got talking about spiritual things and... Um, ended up just dropping into conversation with her about Alpha that we run as a church regularly. And she said, oh, yeah, I've got a friend who's been inviting me on Alpha as well. And then she goes, I think God might want me to do Alpha. <laughs> this is the God she doesn't believe in. Uh, I thought, yeah, I think God might want you to do Alpha as well. So she comes on Alpha at City Church. It's a tiny little, there's like three or four people in it. And she ends up giving her life to the Lord. I thought, to be honest, she came to church a little bit. I thought we'd, we'd lost her. And then a few months later, she messages me and says, hey, um, I've been getting loads of 
backlash from my family, but I've decided I'm getting baptized, I'm going all in, they've made their peace with it, and, and she came through. And that came out of God challenging me to be more just conspicuous as a Christian, conspicuously spiritual. Often being intentional isn't about doing some giant mission. It's just about bringing your whole self to work, being who you are with the people around you. So intentionality is the first kind of ingredient. I think the second ingredient, and this is not rocket science, is a very, very healthy dose of prayer. If you look at what Paul, if you look at Paul's kind of mission um, all around the New Testament, he is frequently, frequently firing off um, prayer requests to other churches that he's planted and other believers. And probably one of his most common prayer requests is that God would open doors. This was his favorite phrase, give us an open door for the gospel. And what he meant by that, an open door could be a person, it could be a group of people, could just be an opportunity to speak into a particular context, anywhere where there is a community closed to the message of Jesus, and that actually through one person's receptivity, for example, actually that community could be broken open. And often, as, as Paul ministered, he would go to places where he wasn't able to pull any of the normal levers that he would pull. For example, when he first landed in the city of Philippi, you can read in the book of Acts, this big cosmopolitan Roman colony, not a synagogue in sight. And all of the things that he would normally do when he went into a new community to begin to engage people with the gospel, those opportunities just didn't present themselves in a place like that. So what did he do? He was there with his little team and they, and they prayed. And they walked about a bit and they got to know the place. And after a while, they, they kind of heard on the grapevine, there's a little group of Jewish ladies that would go down and they would sit on the riverbank every now and again and they would probably just spend some time praying. And it's like, right, okay, we're going over there. We're going to try and engage these guys in conversation. And I don't know how many people they were. It was a small group. But one of them, one person, was interested. And Paul ends up getting into this spiritual conversation with a, with a, uh, a woman called Lydia. The Bible explains how Lydia opens her heart. She ends up getting baptized in the end once she's heard the message. And then gradually a few people around Lydia's sphere of influence begin to be born again as well. And then right there in Lydia's living room, a little church plant was born. It was the first church plant ever in the continent of Europe. And there it began to spread throughout the world. Intentionality and prayer. I shared with you earlier when that Terry Virgo said that when Jesus' disciples were called to disciple-making, they intentionally went and planted churches. Because as important as the ministry of our personal witnessing and personal disciple-making is, actually the rest of this verse, the baptizing, the teaching them to observe, the ongoing work of, of discipling one another in this apprenticeship into the life of Jesus, these things cannot exist in isolation. Actually, everywhere the disciples went, making disciples, they always planted local churches. Jesus finishes this verse. He says, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded. And what I love about this is that this work of discipling others isn't just the work of preachers and pastors and paid staff. This is something that all of us as disciples can and are called to go and do. You know what? If you have a Bible and the Holy Spirit within you, 
And I find coffee helps as well, but that's entirely optional. You have all the tools that it takes to find another person, maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus yet who's interested, or someone who's just crossed the line of faith, or someone who just needs a bit of help along the way, and say to them, hey, I'm, I'm following Jesus. Why, why, don't we, why don't we pray together? Why don't we get together and read through one of the Gospels or one of the New Testament letters together, and let's keep ourselves accountable to live it out and to do what it says. That doesn't need any planning. It doesn't need any preparation, any structure. You're letting the scriptures set the pace. Any one of us can do that. That's what that verse means. Follow me as I follow Christ. I need to wrap it up. There are some challenges here for us. And in the future of City Church, we feel very called to helping Bristol believe, but equally we feel very called to resourcing sites and cities and that in the future is going to mean more church plants. It's going to mean more sites here in Bristol. And I'm, my prayer for us this week has been that actually, even as I'm speaking, even as we're worshiping, that God might be putting on some of your hearts, maybe now, maybe now in Leicester, or maybe in the future. Maybe you weren't expecting it in the slightest, but the Holy Spirit would just begin to dislodge something in you and just, just make you think about this. For others, maybe the challenge is just around, are you living as a disciple? Are you living as someone with that intentionality day by day of taking hold of his word, living it out, being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you living as a disciple maker, someone who can get a hold of somebody else? Or maybe you need to find somebody and say, hey, could you, could you read through the scriptures with me? And are you living intentionally? Just posturing your life in such a way that others can engage with you, that others can see the life of Jesus in you, and that you can invite them into that journey as well. Let's stand together, shall we? I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your presence and power this morning. And Lord, I want to pray right now, unashamedly, right across this room, that you would speak to all of us, that you would challenge us in whatever area it is that you want us to be challenged. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, if you are calling anyone here to be part of a team that plants a church, whether it's this year, whether it's in five years' time or ten years' time, I pray, speak to them right now. Lord, I pray for all of us just to be challenged in the ministry of discipleship, in the ministry of making disciples. God, I want to pray that's the culture of City Church. Lord, that we would have to plant sites and we would have to plant churches because we've made disciples of those around us. Father, we pray, speak to us in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.